Oh, Yahweh, the opportunity to share your word and the truth again. Thank you, Father, for any that have an ear, to let them hear and listen to your truth, knowledge, and wisdom, Father. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Father. So in sharing John, my last sharing with you, um, did that for a reason. Um, some out there might be saying, well, what's he talking about John for? We're supposed to be talking about Jesus. And Well, first of all, I'm supposed to be doing what God and the Holy Spirit direct me to do. And if you get offended by things that I say or how I do it, um, I've shared with you before, and I'm going to tell you again, I don't care. And not saying that in a hostile way, but your validation is not of what's important. If you don't want to listen, simply don't listen. But don't throw disparaging remarks around about things that I'm doing or things that I'm saying and sharing because the Holy Spirit guides my steps. And as I share with you, I share truth. What I'm supposed to be doing is my father's business and not working on his podcast by saying things that are all comfort and pretty, pretty for everyone out there. I want to do what the Holy Spirit guides me to do. I want to do what God leads me to do and say. And there's going to be people that are offended by how I speak and what I say. I know that. Goodness gracious, Jesus walked on the face of this earth and people were offended by everything that he did or said. And there were many that were drawn to him because of his authority and the power in which he spoke. And I bring John up because we have to remember something, that John was very, very close to Jesus. He loved Jesus immensely, and he was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. But let's start something a little earlier. You remember what James and his brother John were called by Jesus? and why they earned the nickname. Okay, I'm gonna give you a minute to think about it. Okay, now I'm gonna tell you. Jesus called them the sons of thunder. Why did Jesus call them the sons of thunder? And also that just so you know, that kind of shows and shares that Jesus did have a sense of humor. A lot of people think that he just walked around doing whatever he was doing and doing miracles and all that stuff. And that, that and people think the same thing of God, that God has no sense of humor. God has a sense of humor. And he likes to ride motorcycles, by the way. Um, so anyway, Jesus called James and John, the sons of thunder, because they had a not really confrontational run in with Samaritans, but they were going to actually turn it into a confrontation. Samaritans and Jews, remember that historically, and by the way, that woman that was Jesus met at the well, she was a Samaritan. They were told that they couldn't go to the temple in Jerusalem because they were Samaritans. And that well that they were drinking, that was Jacob's well. And they called Jacob their grandfather. 
the Jews and the Samaritans are related, but yet because of Samaria's, uh, that region that they were from, they had trespassed and they violated the laws of Moses and uh, it turned into kind of an ugly thing. They were, they had uh, worshiped false idols and, and, but the way I read, it doesn't seem like they were given much of an opportunity to repent and there were some that did not. But it turned into a very ugly mess because the character of hearts on both sides were not willing to change direction. This is the important thing. The character in their heart, which allows for the spirit, the Holy Spirit to live within is what God seeks and what God looks for. He doesn't care what your dress is. Remember, I've shared this with you before. God is a respecter of no man or woman. He didn't care what you have, what you own, what you look like, how you dress, or how you smell, even. And there are people that they get offended. Oh, he smells like he hasn't bathed for a month. Well, God doesn't care. God cares about the character of the heart. Your character of the heart may be better than any leader of that synagogue or elder of that or the one who very one who reads the scripture. The character in your heart is truly that to follow God's word and truly to love your fellow man and woman the way that God directs us to do so. That's what God looks for. Changing direction, changing your mind so that you change your character in, and you allow the spirit to come and live within you. That's what God looks for. So back to James and John. They were called the sons of thunder because it turned into almost a physically confrontational issue and Jesus had to restrain and rebuke them. And then they, they wanted to call down fire from heaven for God's fire to come down and smoke them. Jesus rebuked for, for that, but he, did, he called them the sons of thunder because they wanted to call down fire and thunder from heaven so that, they, that the Samaritans knew it was God and that they had done it. Wow, seriously? And unfortunately, there are individuals that actually pray that way when they're looking for God to take a side with them and they look for God to smite those that they're opposed to. I, I find that very troubling. Just like Joshua was told when he was going down in the Valley of Jericho, are you for us or against us? And the response was simply nay. The captain of the hosts of heaven does not take a side except the side of righteousness, except that of righteousness. And then Joshua knew who he was talking to and threw himself down because it was holy ground. The Spirit of the Lord manifested itself to Joshua. Let him know that he was there because Joshua was following the God's word and his direction. But was 
taking the side of righteousness. I've had people, this, this comes to, Jesus was teaching them a lesson, not just for the thunder and the fire from heaven, but this comes into a, another lesson for us. Is that not a vain use of the name and the power of God? Think about it a minute. When we are told not to use God's name in vain, people do that a lot. I've, I've had people that were so angry and so upset because they were not getting their way. This had to do with my employment, my work. And they were so upset because I was not allowing certain things because number one, I was, <laughs> the unit that I was on had a break and there was a mechanical issue that needed to be addressed before anyone could come on. And the individual woman was very upset because I was delaying them from being able to come on and sit in the air conditioner, but I couldn't run anyway because there was a mechanical issue. And she was getting very, very angry and upset and stormed through and in and then continued walking and went outside and, and around. And by the time she got from the back and up to the front, the door had closed and I started to go. Didn't know that she wanted to come on and I was clear out into traffic way and she was banging. Well, following protocol, I felt badly about it, but I, there was nothing really now I could do. She was trying to take care of everything in herself and wasn't paying attention to anything that I was saying. And she called down, basically cursed me using the name of Jesus and the sacrifice of his blood. And I'm, my goodness gracious, you don't use the name of the Lord in vain in any reason, way, shape, or form. She said, yeah, and the blood of Jesus on you. And that's not a blessing sort of thing. The, those words are attempting to use the name of the Lord as a curse. You don't do that. You have to be cautious in your use of the word of God. You have to be cautious in the name of the Lord. You don't use his name in a cursory way. And you don't use the word to purposely get a confrontation started. I mean, I say what I say and how I say it because that's what I am. And I'm speaking the truth. I'm not, does, I don't, when I say things like, and I don't care, it's not to be, I'm not upset with anybody and I'm not to try to rattle anybody's cage by that. It's just speaking truth. I don't care because validation of mammon is not what matters. And this is what Jesus was teaching James and John. He called them the sons of thunder and then kind of made fun of them for a little while about it. But then he explained the rebuke and why he called them that. And they felt remorse for having done that and they repented for that. But the thing of it is, brothers and sisters, the truth is told at all times because God is truth. In his way is the only way. 
And there will be those who will be offended by what we say. Jesus himself told us that we will be an offense by speaking his name and his truth and preaching the gospel. We will offend many. There will be those that will hate us. And there are going to be ours and even those in our own family that will deliver us up for persecution and prosecution. We have to be willing to accept that. James and John were willing to accept the rebuke and what they had done was wrong and a vainful use for the power and authority that God had put in them and instilled in them. And Jesus is trying to teach them. John took this so much in heart and his, his it meant so much to him. And, G, and he wanted to be as close to Jesus as he could possibly be all the time. He followed his teaching, he followed his words, and he took it so, the spirit into his heart so much that Jesus even called them the beloved, John the beloved. He loved him, and all that John did whenever he preached, he preached about the love of God and how we should be that way with each other. And he practiced it. He practiced it so much. And he might have been given a little, uh, a little special uh, treatment by God because he pleased God so. Let's take a look at this. In retrospect, we'll look back at John. John had gone the way of many of the apostles because the churches didn't want to hear anything other than what they were talking about. Many. I won't say the churches. I can't say that. That's a, that's a too, too broad a, a, a statement. But there were many that did not want to hear the teaching of Jesus. And they despised them because... They used his name. They didn't like that. And they sought offense at every turn that the apostles made and their sharing and their teaching and their preaching sermons, which all did. And I found, uh, incidentally, the way that Mammon, Mammon is uh, and the way they act now is that there are certain theologians that say, oh, there's no record of John ever teaching a sermon and so-and-so and so-and-so. And John was not... Excuse me, but yeah, there are because he went to church and he was asked if he could preach other than the love of God, which is pretty much his, his standard teaching. <laughs> and he said, okay. And he started talking about some other things that Jesus had done and the Lord was doing. And then he came right back to the love of God and how we have to practice that and how we have to do that. And this went on for hours People were taking naps, people were taking meal breaks, but they were coming back to hear him continually preach. I don't know. In my mind's eye, in my thought process, if you're gonna be speaking to a congregation, you go on for several hours, 
That's a sermon. Could be wrong. But I don't think so. Of course, I don't have a theological degree that's signed by some guy at college telling me that I'm now a theologian and I can make decisions for everyone else. That doesn't make me a theological wizard, but this individual is, and, and I guess there's several that got together and say that John has never preached a sermon. When we go out and we share the word of God, but that's all that he was interested in. He was sharing about the love of God and how we need to be a community and how we need to be communal in that. And this is exactly what uh, my pastor was talking about at our church. He was talking about community. And I shared with you already the word communion. It builds on all of that. Communion isn't just the Eucharistical uh, wine and bread that is shared with the, the congregation. We are told that we need to do that in remembrance of our Lord who sacrificed himself for that purpose. And that we do it in remembrance of him and what he did. And there are occasions where we do that. But it is not just the communion. It is community. It is communal awareness. It is one spirit, one mind. We are reminded in almost every letter that Paul wrote, he reminds us to be studying the word, follow the word, practice the love of God, and that we need to be of one body, one mind, one spirit. In almost everything that Paul wrote, we are reminded of that throughout the Gospels, even in the Old Testament. One mindedness toward God. And the problem that Israel had when they ran into their thing was that they got so agitated. There were, there were group, a portion and a group that were following God and trying to do the best that they could by God's will. But unfortunately, communally, they were all agitated and griping and, and listening to all the negativity. God's will for us is to be about his business and show love, compassion, and kindness to all around us, to everyone that we can, and to share the word, to share his word with everyone so that everyone can have an opportunity to be saved. Remember, brothers and sisters, this is the business that we're about. This is the business that I'm about and sharing this with anyone that has an ear, a hearing and listening to what I'm saying. But listening. See, hearing and listening is different. You might set your speaker down. You can hear that I'm speaking. But if you're not listening and paying attention to what's being said, you're only hearing a noise. From another room, you're hearing the fact that the speaker's on but you're not listening to what's being said. I've shared that with you before. Hearing is the physiological aspect. 
but listening is the actual psychological aspect. You're hearing what's said. It's being planted in your thought process and you're trying to establish that. Brothers and sisters, just share the truth. Speak the truth when you speak about the Lord and you come from his word, the Bible, that is his word, his truth, his knowledge, and his wisdom. Ask for that. Be guided by that. The Holy Spirit guides me in that thing. I've asked for it. God has blessed me by giving that to me and allowing it to happen. John did that very thing. He loved Jesus so much. He, he really made a turnaround when Jesus rebuked him and his brother for that. He took it into his heart so much and he wanted to be so close to Jesus all the time. John was also in many depictions that are painted medieval uh, artists and things are painted. John is the one that is leaning against Jesus at the Last Supper. And this is, he wanted to be as close and near to the Lord as he possibly could. Not only in the physical aspect of that, but in his heart, when Jesus was transfigured on the mount and he went to heaven. This really penetrated, I believe, John. And it even said that there were many that that walked away. They just, well, Jesus isn't here anymore. What, what, what's the use in that? And they left and they walked away. They just gave up. Sadly and adversely, there's many here and now in this plate of existence in our era and our time that do that very thing. They don't want to follow the tenets of the Lord. They don't want to follow directions that God gives. And I've shared this with you. And it's um, honestly, it's a little heart wrenching for me is that there are individuals that try to declare that God's not going to do things a certain way anymore because it's modern times. We're not in, in that day anymore. Well, excuse me, but by whose authority are you speaking for me and speaking for God that he's not going to do things a certain way anymore because it's now modern times and it's a different era and that the Bible needs to be rewritten? How dare you to pervert the truth in the word of God? I'm talking now that there are individuals that prayed up and down the stage in front of their congregation and say that the Bible's wrong or needs to be updated, by whose authority do you declare that? Your own? Your self-centeredness? Your ego has overwhelmed your body now that you're trying to put it out on everyone else? And sadly, there are those that follow that teaching. They're following that teaching. They're not adhering to the word of God. They're not paying attention to the word of God. And throughout the Bible, God reminds us that he is the same 
yesterday, today, and for always. God will always love us. He also tells us that there will be nothing that will be able to separate us from his love. We do the separating, but God loves us so much that we need to get our mind focused and turn around and redress a lot of those issues that come up in this plane of existence. I cannot stress enough. It always reminds me the illustration, the perfect analogy that God gives us in Elijah. I think it's absolutely perfect. It is idyllic for what we go through today. We're so caught up with the turmoil and everything that goes on around us. When Elijah went out on the face of the mountain, he was in a nice quiet cave and he could hear the spirit speak to him. And he was told the angel was in there. They were having a conversation. The angel told him, he said, the Lord is directed that you go out on the face of the mountain. And he went out there. And what was happening? There was a lightning storm that was just ridiculous, loud and booming and crashing. And and then this big fire came up because of the lightning. Um, the wind was howling so hard that, that stones were going down the face of the mountain. There was an earthquake. There was all sorts of noise and turmoil that was going on. And Elijah couldn't hear the Lord because of all the things that were going on around him. And when he went back into the quietness of the cave, what did he hear? The still, small voice. I think that this is also another a way that this can be used as another analogy toward other things. When you, have you ever found yourself into a verbal argument with a family member or somebody else who come around and, and then each one of you starts stepping up louder and louder, turning the volume up a little bit of this and you're louder than that person there because you want your voice over that person and that person gets louder and it goes up. And pretty soon there's just so much loudness, you can't even tell what each other is talking about. And I try to remember to practice this because my earthly father shared this with me. <laughs> and um, he he had a boomer. I mean, he was in the Marine Corps. He, he learned how to project. But when he said that if you're in an, an argument or a confrontation, he said, just lower your voice. Talk wider even below a normal stone. And people are going to lean in. They're going to say, what? What are you talking about? What'd you say? They're going to want to hear what you're saying. And then you speak in a soft tone. Say, look, I'm, you know, and if need be, then you say, I'm, I'm sorry that um, we got in this argument and that I was trying to make my point, the right point, and I'm sorry. And you ask forgiveness, and it it can go from there. But it doesn't, and God simply, people have this image of God, as if God's up on this great, big throne, which he does sit on. But they think that God is this gigantic being, and that he, and they, they, they run away. Many times they run away. They run away from the very thing that they should be running to because it's not an auspicious fear 
they have a physical fear of God because of how big he sees. But remember, he speaks in a still small voice. He comes to us in his spirit with a small voice. He doesn't, he's not gonna holler in your ear when you're in your quiet place. You've retreated from the public eye and you're talking and spending time with God and sharing God's word. Why is he gonna be screaming in your ear? There's no reason to do so. And he's not going to. God comes in a still small voice and he does that because he wants us to lean in to hear and listen to him. It's important that we lean in to God. Lean in to hear that still small voice. Listen to what he's telling you. Hearing and listening. Hear what's said. Listen to what's said. Follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is a thing that John did. And he believed in the love so deeply. And the people heard the authority that he spoke with. And they were taking cat naps. They'd go get food and they'd come back. And they wanted to hear what he was talking about. He was speaking with authority that the Lord gave him. And when they came and tried to take his life, they couldn't execute him. And they went through all the steps and they were actually getting tired of trying to do it. They tried to boil him oil. That didn't work. They put him in a cauldron of bubbling, boiling oil. And he came out as if he had just taken a bath. I mean, it was oil and it was really hot, but I mean, he was unharmed. He was not harmed. So they took him and they put him out on the island of Patmos. And they were going to keep him there and have him die there. The island of Patmos is where John penned the book of Revelation. But John was not alone there. The angels came and ministered to him. The angels came and spoke with him. The Lord came and visited John. The letters to the churches in a vision that were given to him by the Lord Jesus came and spoke with him. He was directed by the Lord and he wrote those letters to the angels of the churches. Remember, I've shared that with you before. Angels, that's a terminology that was used for the pastors of a church. They're shepherds, prophets, angels. Prophets do not always see what's in the future. So many people have that misconception. A prophet is one who God has specially anointed and speaks a profound truth and have certain things that God allows through them. 
And it doesn't always mean that they can see into the future. A prophetic word from them is a powerful notation that somebody should really pay attention to. And it might be something special for a group within the church or my, you know, the youth group. It might be special for a person. But the thing of it is, brothers and sisters, what we need to be focused on is God's truth, his knowledge, and his way. That is being in God's business, in our Father's business. And that is my desire to be in my Father's business, and I will share with you, always share with you the truth, his knowledge and his wisdom, that will always be a deciding factor of what I share. Is it God's truth? Is it his knowledge? Is it his wisdom? Does it come from God? As I've shared with you, I'm not going to, uh, what was that word? I forgot. Oh, the hyperbole. I'm not going to make stuff up in my story to go along to elevate myself or to enhance What's being said, if it's not truth, if it doesn't come from truth, I'm not going to do it. There's some people that'll do that. I'm not one of them. But the thing of it is, is that you have to be aware. And the Holy Spirit will guide our steps. We pray for that, and it will be so. The Lord tells us that. The book of Proverbs tells us that. We are told throughout the Bible to lean into God, follow his word, and the spirit of the Lord will guide our steps. The spirit of the Lord will guide our steps. We are reminded of this. Solomon talked about it in the book of Proverbs. And then we come all the way back and Jesus reminded us of that. And then the way he had to remind us is because he, the compassion that Jesus had allowed him to feel what was going on with the disciples when he was getting ready to leave. He said, I have to go. I need to be there to do this thing and come to do what I came to do. I was crucified. Now I'm not. Our Father has raised me, and I've got to go home. There are things that I need to do in preparation for you to come home. And I need to get that done. But remember this, is that I'm leaving, but I'm going to have the Holy Spirit avail itself to you and will come here and be your comforter. You're comfortable now because I'm here with you and I got to go home. I was given so much time. This is about having everything done and prepared for you. So it's got to be done. But the Holy Spirit's going to guide you and teach you and it's going to be here. And he had to give them those words of comfort for the comforter. Remember, I've shared that with you before too. You don't take that comforter, which is a blanket and 
tossed on the back of the couch and one of my mentors was sharing it, a little funny story about his wife had bought a new one and she put it on the back and he was chastised for having taken it and used it for a comforter. Oh, this one's not to be used. We're just going to look at it. And when we have company, they'll look at it, but they can't take it down and use it either. I have some, here, we'll use this one, but this pretty one, we'll just look at it. Well, that analogy applies to the Holy Spirit. What good is the Holy Spirit that God has provided for us if we don't use it? We don't ask for the guidance of our paths. We don't ask for the understanding of the word. The Lord will provide that for us, but you have to ask for it. The word tells us, seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. If you don't ask, you won't have. We're told that in the word of God. If you don't ask, you're a good father. And, and I believe I shared this with you before. I used to kind of, I figured out that if dad was home and there was something that I really wanted to do, I didn't need to do it, but I really wanted to do it, is that I would, I would get a more a more positive approach if I went through mom and carefully worded what I was trying to do. And the dad would, and of course I learned differently as I got a little bit older, but I that's, see, that's what, that's what I had thought. But if I was honest and truthful, and dad would weigh out the thought, sometimes he said, yeah. Or what was, uh, we'll see, was many times good enough for me because usually that we'll see went into a yes. And he would even take me. So here's the thing with our Heavenly Father, it's no different. If you don't, ask God and it doesn't happen why are you going to sit there and whine and cry about it not getting done or accomplished because you didn't ask okay let's clarify some things God doesn't just do in a whimsical way he doesn't wave his magic wand he doesn't create everything that's perfect. We're told that this plane of existence that we, ex we ex are existing in right now is not a perfect place. It leans to the darkness. It learns to, it leans into uh, hatred and derisiveness and separation. All those things that the devil stirs up and loves to stir up. This plane of existence is exactly that and that it's dark, that we need to shine out that light that God puts in us. We need to exercise those things that God would like for us to be doing and be about his business so that we can show that there is a different way, a better way, the best way. And this is why many times we are looked at as his peculiar people because we do not fit in the normal, steps 
with society and their ideals. We don't fit in because we're not following all those rules. And as the scripture also tells us that there will be those individuals who claim to be your friends or you decide that they're your friends and yet they're continually trying to take you down the path that you're not supposed to go and contrary to the teaching of the word and contrary to the teaching of our Lord Jesus or the guidance of the Holy Spirit, totally opposite of that. And yet they still call themselves friends or you say, oh, those are my friends. Really? I think we use the term friends way too loosely. A true friend will uplift you, uphold you, support you, and believe in you, and will not try to knock you off the things you believe. Won't make fun of what you believe in won't ask for anything from you unless they absolutely need it. And you, being a true friend, if you have it, you will give it. Period. So these individuals that call themselves your friends, but they continue to try to get you to do the wrong thing, go to the wrong places and take you down the wrong path, are not your friends. And the Bible says that you need to cut that cord before they drag you down to the depths. Brothers and sisters, God loves us. He is a good, good father. He is our heavenly father. He watches us all the time. And one place, I've, I've changed the artwork and there's just a little side note. You'll notice a change in the artwork if they ever get this thing fixed. They have something going on with the server. So it's our Lord depicted as our lion and there's a small child, <coughs> pardon me, leaning against him and in his forepaws. This is where we are all the time with our Lord. He keeps us close. He keeps us protected. It's a powerful image and this is something that we need to remember that the Lord is with us all the time and he keeps us close we are his children he loves us and any of you that have not taken the opportunity in spite of or despite the fact that this is a dark and broken place the Lord wants to be with you. He wants to be your savior. He wants to give to you what he's given to so many. He came to this world, this plane of existence. He was sacrificed for our sake because he loves us so much. All you have to do is just say, yes, I believe. Have faith in God and ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And your steps will be kept straight. The path is not an easy path and God didn't promise it to be. But brothers and sisters, one thing he did promise, 
is to always be with us whithersoever we go. And that just doesn't mean from point A to point B. If you're traveling from a city and you're going to see some family a couple hundred miles away and he's going to be with you from that point to that point, that's not all that means. God is with you whithersoever thou goest. That means it doesn't matter where you go. If you go on the height of the mountain of joy and happiness because you just had a child or had just had a new grandchild or your child just graduated, you're just so happy or you find out that your your child that was in the military has come and they're safe and sound and everything and coming back and you're re- having this great reunion and happy, happy, joy, joy. God is there in the midst of that. <clears throat> and through the course of the day, he walks with us. And if you go into the valley of despair because you had a loved one just passed away and you're grieving heavily or you're down there in that valley and you and you can't see because this person, this aunt, this uncle, your, your uh, grandparent or your parent, whatever it might be, but you're just down in that valley and it's dark and you feel like you're alone, you're not alone. God is there with you. Paul, uh, David wrote his poem about it and declares that God is with us no matter wherever we go to the highest mountain, to the deepest depths, to the depth of the sea. And if he was to walk through the halls of hell, God will be there. You just have to believe that. Have faith in that. The Holy Spirit will guide your steps. And it's a very simple thing to do. Everything about God is truth and love. He loves us so much. You want to do it, you can do it on your own. You can do it in your house. You can get to a quiet place and you just confess to God that you haven't been living the way that you should be, that you don't want to do that anymore and that you want to walk and guide others to do that thing. You want to be about his business. And just tell him, declare that. Claim the blood of Jesus to cover you because it does. Get with your church and be baptized. And then just seek the Holy Spirit to guide your steps. And he will. Like I've shared with you, I will believe that Jesus is your only begotten son. I do want to have faith in you. Father, Holy Spirit, guide my steps. Let's go. I do, I will. Let's go. You have a good day today. You're in my prayers going out and coming in. Be blessed.